Just a friendly reminder that if you wish to support the ministries of this podcast or the local church in which I serve, you may send any donations to 563 East Main Street in Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350, care of Henry's Chapel, UMC. So this week, we're going to wrap up our study on some of the spiritual disciplines. We began by looking at who it is that God calls us to be and our true identity and our true self. And we kind of have walked through over the past few weeks some spiritual disciplines that may help us in having a more robust understanding of who it is that God called and created us to be. Now, I'll say some spiritual disciplines because this is not an exhaustive list. There are other spiritual disciplines that you may engage in or that you may come across that are more helpful for you. But some of the ones that we've looked at over the past few weeks is searching the scriptures and prayer and fasting. And this week, we're going to look at the idea of worship. Now, I read somewhere one time that the idea of worship can literally be translated to the idea of worthship. We worship those things that we give worth and value to, which raises the question as we dive into this sermon of what is Jesus worth to you? And as we look at that, we're going to look at a text this morning. We're actually going to look at two different texts, both in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11, verse seven through, verses 7 through 11, which will be a familiar text for many of us for the, today, which is the triumphal entry. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 15 and read verses 6 through 15. So Mark Chapter 11, verses 7 through 11, we hear these words. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethlehem with the twelve. So we know that this is the triumphal entry. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know that we are entering into Holy Week. And then we jump forward to the end of that week of Mark, uh, in Mark Chapter 15, verses 6 through 15, it says, At the festival he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they had asked. And this is Pilate that they're talking about. And now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. And so the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. And then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have them release Barabbas for them. Instead, Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. And Pilate asked them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. 
This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in our scripture this morning, we hear of two crowds, probably made up of some of the very same people, but they, in less than a week, have shifted their cries from Hosanna to crucify him. And and while we hear that the Roman leaders are the ones that stirred up the crowd in front of Pilate, we also realize that there is probably some of that already bubbling up within them. And so we look at these two statements of Hosanna and crucify him, and both essentially come to being worth statements. They vary in their extent of value and in what the prominent subject of worship, of the worship is. But aside from the simple wording, we must ask ourselves, what's changed? What, what has shifted these people's view of worth when it comes to Jesus? And I think that it's really what has happened over the week is that what the people want does not align with what Christ does. And they become, they find themselves angered. They find themselves frustrated. They they kind of find themselves restless because Christ didn't do as they wanted, as they desired. And Christ didn't do it how they desired. You see, we look at it and we start to realize that Jesus did exactly what they were requesting, just not how they wanted it to be done. And the reality that we need to realize first, as we look at this idea of worship equaling worthship, those things that we put worth on, the things that the things and the people that we give worth so often in our world is we give them worth by how they benefit us, how they meet our wants. What can you do for me? And we look at this, and we and if you're walking down a grocery store and you find yourself looking at two separate things, but you can only afford to buy one, you literally are going to give value to the one that will bring you the most pleasure, bring you the most joy. If you can only purchase one thing off of Amazon, you're going to purchase mostly the one thing that will bring you the most joy. And this is how we analyze worth. So as we hear of Jesus entering into Jerusalem, walking into the town, we hear of the people screaming out, Hosanna, which translates loosely to save us now. And it raises the question of what is it that they want to be saved from or what is it they want to be saved for? And we know what they wanted to be saved from. It was the the oppression of the Roman government. They had been held down and enslaved by the Roman government, and they envisioned that as Jesus came in, he was going to come in sword in hand and free them from this oppression and slavery. But if we look at our own lives and ask the question, what is it that we want to be saved from? So often it is we want to be saved from our circumstances, or rather from our punishment. We want to be saved from being in certain situations or from certain people. Very rarely do we desire to be saved from the root of the issue, but instead what we find ourselves seeking more times than not is to be saved from the consequences that arise from that root. 
We find ourselves so often as we go through our lives trying to clear out the cobwebs, but we never get to the spider, as we've talked about in the past. So these people are seeking to be saved from the Roman oppression, and we are crying out, Jesus, save me! Save me from the situation, from the circumstances that I find myself in. Fix this issue that I find that I have. I don't want to have to reap the ben- the punishment for the actions that I have done. I heard it once said that so often we find ourselves going out and sowing our wild oats throughout the week, and on Sunday we come praying for crop failure. And that's ultimately what we're hearing in our text, is save me from all the bad that I have done, that I don't have to reap the punishment. But the people are crying out, save me. And they're not saved in the way in which they want. And as Jesus doesn't do what they want, all of a sudden they realize that Jesus' value, Jesus' worth to them shifts. And this is when we hear their cries of Hosanna turn to their cries of crucify him. They shift very quickly from save me, Jesus, to never mind, I don't need you anyway. Get out of here. You didn't do what I wanted. I won't worship you. And we can look at this and go, how does that even happen? Because we look at it and we go, oh, I would never do that to Jesus. But how often in our own lives do we do this to other individuals where when when their value to us is up, we all of a sudden disappear? We ghost people and disappear from their lives and say, I don't need you anymore. Uh, Thanks, we had a good run, but I'm good now. You see, in our text, what we realize is over the week, Jesus didn't change. Jesus' plans, Jesus' character, Jesus' work, Jesus' heart, who Jesus is, what Jesus had planned to do did not change. And the people Their desires, their heart, and their hope didn't change either. They still wanted to be saved. Their their hope was that they would be set free. But this is what Jesus came to save them from, was their desires and their hearts and their hope. Jesus came to save them from their very selves. Save us. But what the people and we often miss is that Jesus does not enter to save the Jews from the Romans, but to save them from themselves. And the same thing is is true in our own lives. You see, we realize that that if Jesus Jesus could come and in the snap of his fingers erase all the division and the hate and the anger and all of those things in our lives, erase racism, do away with war, do away with hunger, but if we don't address the root of the issue, all of those things would come back because all the underlying issues of that is pride, is hate. All those things are ego. It's those things that we need to get at at the heart of the matter, which is our very hearts. And what Jesus says is we need to be saved from ourselves. 
Instead of expecting to be saved from outside influences, how might we invite Jesus in to save us from ourselves? You see, I think we have a a quote-unquote understanding when we say Hosanna of what it means to be saved. Those things that we want to be saved from and what being saved looks like, and most of the time it requires something to change. But we don't want the change to be us. God, save me from this situation, but I don't want to have to change the way in which I act that may land me in this exact same spot again. God, save me from the circumstances in which I find myself, but don't change the actions that I do. God, change somebody else. It's, we live in a but-they culture where, it's, where when we start to realize things are going wrong with us, we go, but they did this, but that happened, but them, but, 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 and we don't ever take the time to realize how we have put ourselves so often in situations. So we never take the blame on, on things, and it's always someone else's fault. Or maybe I'm just speaking to self. But so often, we look around the world and we say, everything else needs to change, but not me. And if they or it won't change, then let's just cut it off. Let's just put it to death. Let's crucify it. And we see this in our world so clearly right now where things that are different than me that may cause me to think differently, act differently, or behave differently, things that are seeking change, we become those crusaders, if you will, screaming out, crucify it, kill that, kill that thought, kill that new change, kill that thought process because it is calling me to change. It's calling into question what I do, how I interact, how I behave, and I'm not the problem. Everyone else is. And here's the reality is for me, what I started to realize is that I, is that I became a bit of a control freak. And what but the problem was is what I wanted to control was how everybody else interacted and what was going on at, externally, how everybody else perceived, how everybody else wanted to, be, me to behave and, how, and what everybody else was doing and thinking. I wanted to control that. And I realize, but I've started to realize the only thing that we really have control over is what's going on within us. We can't control what's going to happen around us, but we can control how we will react to those things. We can't control how people will perceive us, but we can control who we are. And so this idea of Hosanna is a call to say, God, save me from myself. I I so often left to my own devices will find myself trying to control everything else, but God set me free to be that person that you call and created me to be because I'm only wor- worth as much as you have given me. And from the creation, you give me my worth by saying, you are my child and who I am well pleased. And therefore, God, let my life be an outcry of how great and wonderful you are that I may give you all the glory you all the honor and I may worship you because you are the only thing that is of worth in my life because you are the alpha creator and you are God but so often in our lives we are not screaming out Hosanna seeking God to save us 
But we are really, what we really need to be looking at is those things that we need to put to death. Our preconceptions, our thoughts, our belief that we're always right, our desire to always serve self, our ego and our hatred of the other. What we need to lift up and scream out Hosanna is God save us. God, come live and dwell within me. And what we need to put to death is those ways of self so that we may truly live in God. So what if throughout this Holy Week we flipped these texts on their head? For many of us, when Jesus enters in week and they cry out, Hosanna, the emphasis is on us. Save us. Save me. And when the things don't go right, the emphasis is on crucify him. What if we sought throughout this week to say to flip the message, to say, save the message, save the love, save the kingdom of God? What if when we cried out Hosanna, it caused us to realize how hopeless we are unto ourselves and to give all the worth value on the alpha creator and God of the universe? And that when we cry out, crucify, we are crying out to God, crucify those ways and within me. Put to death those things that are not of you. Put to death the things within us that are against Hosanna. Put to death those things that are of me. And allow Christ to truly Hosanna. Allow God to truly come and work within us as Christ is entering the holy city to Christ to enter into our lives as we scream out, God, Hosanna in the highest. Save me, O God from myself. This is what worship truly is, is when we lay all of our lives, our very hearts in the, at the feet of Jesus and say, God, I am yours. Do with me your will, not my own. God, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.